0: Hello, and welcome to the Working Parent podcast. This podcast season is designed to support working parents during the COVID-19 pandemic and beyond. My name is Sharon Charlton-Thompson, and I'm one of the co-founders of The Working Parent Company. You can find out more about us by just searching for us on Instagram and on LinkedIn, where we post daily updates. So today, are you ready to release your inner tortoise, not just for you, but also for your family? Kerry Summers, also a co-founder here, settled down to listen and speak to one of our most popular speakers, the wonderful Carl Honore. If you don't know Carl's work, then take a look at his TED Talk, In Praise of Slowness, or look up his best-selling books. Definitely check out the trailer he's produced for Frantic Family Rescue, which is in the show notes. He's the leader of the slow movement. He firmly believes that living in fast forward significantly damages our health, our happiness, our relationships and our productivity. In this podcast, Carl talks about how we might harness the slowness that the pandemic has enforced on us and use it for the better in our future lives. He says the idea that less is more is so powerful. And when you are chronically trying to do too much, We just simply become less effective. Carl shares with Kerry the benefits of slowing down and when it is most appropriate, so how to move towards a philosophy of sometimes slow in the workplace and how to bring slow parenting into the home where so-called competitive parenting and a fear that children are missing out can propel us to overschedule our children's lives as well as our own. The talks he does for us at the working parent company are things like the power and joy of slow slow parenting how to raise strong children in a fast world and the slow fix so how to solve problems properly above all else what i really remember is that the constant pressure to do everything faster means we race through life instead of actually living it when you use the slow gear everything falls into place you connect more, you create more, you focus more and achieve more. You become more. That certainly resonates for me. And this podcast is for anyone really for whom that resonates. I hope you enjoy.
1: Welcome, Carl, to the Working Parent Podcast.
2: Great to be with you.
1: I'm going to dive right in with our first question. You've been an advocate for the slow movement and a compassionate, I would say, critic of our addiction to busy. And your first book on this was published back in 2005. So you've been talking about this for a long time. You said this at the time, the constant pressure to do everything faster means we race through life instead of actually living it. When you use the slow gear, everything falls into place. You connect more, create more, focus more, and achieve more, you become more. All that sounds very attractive. And I don't think the enforced (laughs) slowdown um, of a global pandemic was what you had in mind when you talked about slow and the slow gear. But can you tell us more about this idea of slowing down and um, how we achieve more and be more as a result?
2: Sure. Well, this whole slow philosophy with a capital S is really not about doing everything slowly that would be absurd i'm not a fanatic or a fundamentalist of slowness faster is often better we all know that slow in the capital s sense right the slow movement is about doing things at the right speed uh, sometimes Mm -hmm. fast but sometimes changing things up and going a little more slowly it's about it's a state of mind really it's about being present in the moment giving your full attention to whatever it is you're doing ultimately it's about doing things not as fast as possible but as well as possible and it, it's a very simple idea, but one that can just change, every it's a game changer in every aspect of your life. So if, when people do reconnect with their inner tortoise, if you like, they start living at the right speed for them, then you see a whole laundry list of benefits. I mean, you, your, your health improves, you've got more energy, you're not burned out from going fast and stressed all the time. You're, you're happier, you take more pleasure from things. You may do fewer things, but the things you do, you enjoy them more and, and do them better. Uh, it's slowing down judiciously and, and wisely also will make you more productive and creative uh, at work. It's a surefire way to supercharge your relationships, right? You 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 feel closer to people, you have more time for them, you are more attention. And I think it also gives you the time and the space to ask yourself the really big questions in life, such as, who am I? What's my purpose here what you know what kind of life do I want to be living for myself so you you end up just with a calmer, richer life, a life worthy of the name.
1: It sounds incredibly attractive um, and as you describe it, it's something that I feel myself so drawn towards, um, and we're going to talk more in this in this podcast about some ideas and tips to move towards that. And it's clearly something that resonates with a lot of people. Your TED Talk, which was, when was that now? In what year?
2: Uh, that was 2005, my first one, yeah, in praise of slowness, yeah.
1: Oh, my goodness. Well, that had over 3 million views and counting, and it's, it's clearly something that resonated with a lot of people. And I'll, I'll have a link to that in the show notes to share with everybody. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, the inevitable question. We're in a pandemic at the moment. Um We talk about each experience of COVID-19 will depend on our personal circumstances, um, Mm -hmm. both external to us, both how we feel inside. So this makes this question harder to answer. But can you tell me what the COVID-19 pandemic experience brings to the discussions on slow? Where are the challenges to adopting slow at the moment? And where might we have had some unintended positive lessons
2: that Mm. have come through this? Well, the pandemic, of course, has forced uh, slowdown on the whole world. And, uh, you know, as you said in your introduction, I would never have wished this on the planet. This is a, this is a nightmare for everyone in various different ways. Uh, and there's such a thing as bad slow, right? You know, um, and we're, a lot of us are living through some of that, but there's also good slow. And, and that I think has been the silver lining, the upside of this global moment, right? It's a moment of a, kind of a reset moment where I think we've had time now, a good six months to look back and think about how the rhythms of our lives have changed and how where some things have slowed down, it's actually been a benefit to us. You know, I think a lot of people are finding that they've done less. Simply it's harder to do things, right? The world is shut down. And, so many, and they're, they're, they're discovering that less is more, right? That all that FOMO stuff that drove us to do more and more things now seems a little bit silly and, and past its sell-by date. So I think people are waking up to the joy of doing fewer things of having more time to rest and recharge and reflect, you know, time just to think, right? To get back in touch with yourself, to, to ask and play around with those big questions, uh, which is why I think many people are, even before the pandemic is over, already saying, you know, I'm not going back to what I had before. I'm going to reboot in one way or another. It might be a small tweak, it might be a huge change, but it might be in my family life, it might be my work, it might be both. But I think this has been a moment where a lot of people had, have had a bit of space and time to just look at the big picture, and, and and reassess. And then, of course, we've also, reacquainted we acquainted ourselves with simple, slow pursuits. I mean, look at the boom in <laughs> sourdough baking, right? Bread, uh, people are cooking more, spending more time with their, their loved ones, uh, board games, puzzles, all these kind of slow activities, crafts, all that stuff. I think people were flirting with them maybe before the pandemic, but just because of the nature of this beast, we found ourselves doing them more and, spoiler alert, really enjoying it. So, I think a lot of people are now thinking, okay, I get this slow thing. It's not not frightening. It's not bad. It's not the end of my life. Actually, it's a way of rebooting my life in a really good way. So, the question then becomes, you know, how do we carry that forward beyond the pandemic?
1: Yeah, where do you go with that? So there has been, uh, we describe it as an addiction to busy, uh, where busy is almost a badge of honour. And what we've seen a lot with the working parents that we've been coaching is exactly what you say, a realisation and and a huge amount of relief around not having to do so much. Um, In the beginning, there was it felt almost the opposite of that, where you had to fit everything in and, and trying to get work sorted out in amongst all of that and homeschooling and... Um, and then there seemed to be like a collective step back from that a little bit mm. to an appreciation of you can't do it all, it's not productive to do it all, and and pulling certain things out. So when you talk about a reset or a reboot, um, that makes me very hopeful about uh, how we might see things, and, and it's been a period of time maybe that is long enough to allow us to have a a proper change of habits that that might stretch for longer even when things go back to you know
2: so-called normal and this this idea of less is more is so powerful uh, at home in our private lives but also at the workplace right because when you're chronically trying to do too much you just become less effective and and there's a quote from warren buffett the famous uh, american investor who said once that the difference between successful people and very successful people is that very successful people say no to almost everything right and i think that's oh. the pandemic has allowed us or forced us in some cases to say no or just simply do fewer things and we're discovering the warren buffett rule is true you know that we're actually mm-hmm. finding often a lot of us are working more productively you hear a lot of companies saying staff are getting things done more quickly because they've got more control over their time they're not rush you know they're rushing all the time they, they, they decide when to speed up when to slow down and, and I think that regaining that control of our own rhythms and our own schedules and allowing ourselves to do fewer things and focus on the stuff that really matters, that means hitting home runs in the workplace, right? It's better mm-hmm. for the bottom line.
1: And, and certainly the statistics are bearing out exactly what you're saying. Productivity studies, um, some of which have been uh, self, uh, self-reflective uh, explanations of productivity and others that are, Uh, more based upon um, objective data all coming to that kind of conclusion, there was a small dip in productivity at the very beginning and productivity has actually improved since then because maybe people do have a bit more control of their time. Although I would say that there are a lot of our working parents who seem to have less and seem to be in an endless cycle of uh, Zoom calls, they've taken the office and they've they've moved that process home.
2: Yeah, of course, we're (laughs) we're in a transition moment and some companies have seen the way the wind is blowing and are making structural changes in the way they run their business so that they can ride that productivity train that comes from the <laughs> mm-hmm. slowdown moment. But others don't. They're stuck in the old mm-hmm. ways. So you're they're mm-hmm. insisting that everyone be in every meeting when that doesn't make sense. You know, all kinds of things from the old way yeah. of yeah. working that are still in, yeah. still in the way. And you know.
1: So that leads me on nicely to my next question, which is really about uh, working parents or people who are working. Anyone, this would be relevant to how there have been some insights that have come about through what you were describing earlier about having those moments in the reset and and appreciating slowing down a little bit. Um, And this is fabulous for personal and professional development, but there are still so many demands on working parents' time in the workplace as well as elsewhere. And then, of course, throwing in lockdown lockdown makes that um, even harder to imagine how they have the capacity to do what you're asking or suggesting which is to do less so you mentioned the inner tortoise earlier what tips do you have for how they can unleash the inner tortoise and and this is also about you know how they have those conversations at work it's not just about their personal understanding about it but how can they help to spread that mm.
2: right there's various questions in there let's try and unpack them one by one um, well I think let's start with where you ended, which is the the, the bigger picture, right? The workplace. No man, no woman is an island and it's much harder to slow down alone, right? Especially in Mm -hmm. the workplace and all the companies that I've ever worked with or seen get this right, have always done it together. So you, you need it depends. This is going to vary from company to company mm-hmm. and workforce and sector to sector. But the basic principle is the same: that you you need to get people around the table. It's often going to be a Zoom table now, right, or a Zoom screen, and just have conversations about how you're using time, and try and work out who needs to be doing what. Uh, these are conversations that often never happen in companies because we just we're, we're just trying to get through the next day, the next week, the next you know cycle, the next quarter. But that really it pays off in the long run to push pause and say, okay, let's just sit around the table and say, who needs to be contactable you know, during these times? Who can switch off their phone? Who can not look at their messages at this point? Which messages need to be responded to within an hour? Which ones can wait for a day? And just get those conversations out and aired. And once you do, I think a lot of companies realize that there are many levers that can be pulled to allow people to slow down so that they end up being you know, more efficient and productive in the way we said.
1: Um, that is something that we've been talking about a lot with organizations. I love this idea of, of talking about it and giving it a try. But when you were describing what things you need to be in the room for, virtually or not, and what things you can do separately, we describe as synchronous or asynchronous behavior. So what are the things that we need to be doing alongside people? And what are the things that we can be separated from and we don't need to be accountable or available um, for them and we can go off and and be in that moment of flow where we can get things done. Mm -hmm. So um, it's incredibly powerful when people are released from the need to be present 24-7, almost 24-7 at the moment, um, and, and have the opportunity and the space and the permission Um, and the understanding that they are going to be asynchronous for a while. They will respond, but it doesn't have to be at the same moment that the, the question or the query came in.
2: Exactly. It's hugely liberating, and you just end up unleashing so much good stuff right in the workplace people will will have better relationships they'll be more focused when they are in the meeting they'll be more present because they haven't been in 15 meetings before that they didn't need to be in you know there's just so many payoffs if a company an organization takes that time just to say okay let's just stop everything for a moment and and look hard at the nitty-gritty here and work out a a different modus operandi right and once you get that right you know you don't go back to the way it was before
1: we've talked about this before and you said one thing you also said was give it a try and then regroup mm. and talk about it and, and keep on iterating exactly, on it. Exactly,
2: yeah. I think that's important as well. I, you, you, you have those moments with the company sitting down, you work out what you want to change, but you won't know it for sure right until you try it. So, I always suggest uh, running little pilot projects or experiments and say, you know for instance, this week we're going to you know, everybody in, the, in this department will be able to switch off their phones for two hours, or we're all going to stop working at 5 p.m. or whatever it is, you know, and just do it for the week and then get together at the end and debrief and say, you know, how did that feel? Mm-hmm. What, what did we notice that was different? What did we like? What could we tweak? Uh, could we push further? And, and just work your way through it like that. So trial and error, absolutely crucial.
1: Mm-hmm. I love that. I love trial and error and communication. Those mm-hmm. two things together solves a lot of the workplace issues that uh, that we deal with, although I'm sure that sounds very simplistic, but it really does. Um, going just a little bit more on the workplace, if someone was trying to provide evidence to their line manager or their senior management about the benefit of slowing down or you know, synchronous versus asynchronous work, do you have any sources... That they could use research, or we can put those in the show notes at the end. There
2: are loads of, there are. I mean, there's two that jump out to me. One was the Harvard Business Review did a big study looking at companies that embrace slow, let's take this slow approach, right, in a global sense. And they found that their profits went up, I think it was 40% in productivity. I mean, just huge jumps. And we're not talking about little Mm -hmm. incremental improvements, we're talking about Mm -hmm. great leaps forward. So that, that's an easy thing to find online. It was the Harvard Business Review looking at slow business and slow working. Mm-hmm. And then The Economist, of course, another uh, you know, Bible of ambitious, successful, entrepreneurial types, did a big survey looking at the modern workplace and pace. And their, their final two lines were forget frantic acceleration, mastering the clock of business is about choosing when to be fast. We all know that bit, right? But also when to be slow, yeah? when to be fast and when to be safe. There it is in a nutshell, the whole slow philosophy from The Economist, which is, you know, it's not Buddhist Monthly or Acupuncture Weekly, right? It is the in-house guidebook of the (laughs) the go-getters, right? Saying the same thing, which is you've got to be fast sometimes, but not all the time. You've got to have turbo sometimes, but tortoise mode other times, right? So the the stats are all out there. Endless studies proving it.
1: Okay, and I, I will do a link to those two as a starting point, but I, I imagine that, yeah, as you say, you just need to Google this and you will find mm. uh, a lot of resources out there about it. And I was, what I was just about to say is that you, of course, have written a book specifically on decision-making and fast and slow. Exactly, yeah.
2: Uh, the, the, the slow fix, it's called, yeah, which, you know, yes. uh, the antidote to the quick fix, right?
1: <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, moving on to a little bit about um, the parenting part of being a working parent, And I'm wondering about how slow applies to parenting. You've talked about something you call a race to perfection, Mm. where we are overstretching and over-scheduling our children, leaving them with little time for anything else. There are play dates, after-school clubs, weekend sports, and a general fear that children need to be productive. In fact, um, we had a similar theme in the last podcast we did with Dr. Eric Sigman, where he extolled the virtues of boredom and and told us about um, the the child development benefits of boredom. So my question is around balance between stretch and overstretch. What tips do you have for working parents to turn the family home into a place of calm and connection and still fulfil their child's potential?
2: Mm -hmm. Well... I think of it as being about uh, drawing discipline and drawing lines drawing boundaries so that's in a physical sense i think it's important to separate work from the rest of what's going on in the home so if you can have a you know if you're lucky enough to have a separate room for an office keep the work in there keep the laptop in there don't let it seep out into the rest of the house if you don't have a separate house room try to set aside or rope off Part of another room, or, and when that work is done, then try and move it out of sight, right? So that it's not there in people's sight lines, just creating this distraction and feeling that work is, you know, hovering and haunting in the in 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 the fringes. So I think that's very important. Create physical spaces, right, where you know you won't be mm-hmm. disturbed. That also applies to technology. You know, screens are great, and they're a lot of fun, and they can bring families together, but. You can get too much of a good thing, so I think it's also helpful to, if, if at all possible, to create one room, you know, one part, again, another part of the house which is permanently screen-free, that could become a, I mean, I've seen that happen in my home, it's become a sort of haven, a place that people go to almost as a sanctuary to just let their mind wander or drift or rest or have conversations knowing they won't be interrupted. So try and keep the technology in its physical place rather than, again, letting it get into bedrooms wherever possible, keep it out of the bedroom, especially before going to sleep. We all know the research on how disruptive that can be. Uh, and then coming back to the idea of boundaries again, I think scheduling is very important. We, you know, we've reached this point, I mean, I've, we're overscheduled, but the irony is we kind of need to schedule um, unscheduled time in a sense. So I think we need to build into our weekly schedules you know certain blocks of time that we know are sacrosanct. They're not going to get uh, contaminated by work. We're going to leave the coal face and be with our families, cooking, playing, doing Lego, whatever, going for a walk or something, exercise, whatever it is, and just know that that is there um, to 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 play with. And, and another thing I suggest, especially now that we're all kind of stuck in the home together, if you're working and your child is. Being looked after by another parent or a care, or on their own, try to line up if they're having breaks from their homeschooling, whatever it is, try to line up your breaks, you know, just sort of work your schedule so that if you've got a 10-minute break, make sure or try wherever possible that your child's got a 10-minute break at the same time and, and, and kind of establish that in the child's mind so they know that that's when they can wait because your mommy or daddy will be free 50 minutes mm-hmm. from now sort of thing. So, so those are some things to start playing around with in the home. <laughs>
1: There is um, a term that I I don't like but is used quite a lot, which is competitive parenting, which is where you start to have this fear of, you know, that child's doing piano and that child's doing extra soccer lessons and someone else is doing spanish and um Mm. you you feel this sort of urge to be doing to be doing those things as well and really what you're saying is that our our children will gain a lot more um and we talked about this in the podcast last week as well developmentally by not necessarily doing as much but how do we talk to ourselves about that because it's so Mm. easy to get caught up in in that competitive I'm you know i'm worried that i'm not doing the right thing by my child because i'm not Filling their time enough.
2: Yeah, I think there are there are two ways. One is to is to reach out to uh, parents who are having the same anxieties, parents who you know are not jumping into the schedule them up to the eyeballs rat race and and and, and you know build networks. I think we, it, this is part of the problem. Is we either we get a alo- when we're alone or disconnected, we get infected by the the panic and the perfection of other people but if you if you reach out and find either through uh, you know local neighborhood at the school gate or through a kind of chat room or whatever you can find low because you are not alone if you're thinking this right that that there must be another way (laughs) that that this idea that every moment must be scheduled with productive activity that's going to appear on a university application or a resume one day you are not alone Um, and there's a hugely compelling case against that way of approaching parenting. So find those people, they are out there. And it just gets mm-hmm. so much easier when you realize that you're not alone, right? And and you can also then, you know, your child can hook up with their child and have that unstructured play, right? Because often mm-hmm. we say as parents people, I'd love my kid just to play and hang out, but all the other kids are in structured activity. What's he or she gonna do? Now you found someone mm-hmm. else who's on the same wavelength and you can kind of play mm-hmm. it that way. Another just quick mm-hmm. suggestion I throw in for parents is, one thing that often happens as parents is we get kind of locked into our age cohort and we lose sight of you know further what happens to child development further on. And mm-hmm. we, we imagine that if we get one little tiny thing wrong now, it's gonna leave an indelible mark or scar on our child forever and ruin their life chances. But because we never talk to parents of children who are older, we haven't got the perspective. Uh, and, and it's so, again, I find that a really helpful thing to do, try through the school alumni network or whatever it is, just to find parents of kids who are older than your children, who've gone through these same anxieties and panics and, and fears and late night sweats. And, and you're gonna find parents there who say, you know what, I was worried that my kid wasn't doing Mandarin or something, but look, my child's 18 now, she's going off to a tremendous university or he's, landed a, or he's launched a startup or they're both super, you know, whatever. And it's just gonna take that, that rucksack of angst off your shoulder. Is such
1: good advice, and I and I say that as um, a parent of young adults now. And there are so many things that I got worked up about as they were growing up that I realise exactly. now were yes. so unimportant. And I, you know, I have friends with younger children, and I, I. So often want to step in and and say something, but if you're not asked, it's really difficult to do that. But you just know that they're creating rod for the back or making things difficult, and worrying about things that are are not the important things. You know, it's really about connecting with our kids and and helping them to process and be critical in their thinking. And those things come from the home; they're not going to come from another Mandarin lesson. So it's it's I think that's fantastic advice. So um, all those listening out there. Please, I, I really, really resonate with that um, with that idea. Um, I also just wanted to, um, uh, because I want to put this in the show notes for everybody to see, um, Carl, you did a program for Australian Broadcasting Television. It's the equivalent of the BBC in Australia, the ABC. Um, it was called Frantic Family Rescue, yes, yes. and it featured three um, over-scheduled, and they worked really hard to find the, the families for this three over and very time for time poor families, and you were called the slow coach and um, they were quite extreme, but it was just so easy to see how how to get to the place that they were how you mm-hmm. get yourself worked up and just build and build um, and it just made me laugh so much. Um, But it was also extremely uncomfortable because you always see a little bit of yourself in it. So I've added a link to a few clips of this to the show notes. And um, I think it'll make us as parents feel better about ourselves and may hold up a mirror to some of our less logical decisions. So I'll put that, as I said, in the show notes. Um, I've just got one final question for you. Mm -hmm. And that is about, and we ask this of every podcast guest. What is it that you are most hoping for in a post-lockdown and post-COVID nineteen world?
2: Ooh, gosh, mm. um, there's, I've got so many things I would want to say to that. But I, you know, one one thing I would, I, I, one thing I live in London, right? And and I've noticed, of course, through the lockdown, people have spent a lot more time outside because when they're allowed to, and walking and stuff, and being in parks, and and I just think one of the lessons I hope we take forward from this lockdown. And, and, you know, during the real lockdown, you couldn't hear airplanes and you could hear birdsong again. And there was just this kind of gentle return to nature. And I, I hope that that's something, I mean, there are many other things I hope we get out of this, but I, I that's one I'd put near the top of the list is just getting back to nature, you know, mm-hmm. very simple, but immensely soothing and just right for, for people and the planet and all of us. Right?
1: Yeah. And, and it, uh, it's something, again, that's backed up by so much research that uh, we improve our well-being, our mental health um, by being more in touch with nature. Uh, and I've, I've certainly done a lot more, uh, done a lot more walks in parks mm-hmm. and and seeing so many people doing that as well. And it is quite heartening. Um, is. So I appreciate that. And I and thank you for that. Um, I wanted to finish with a quote from one of the working parents that we work with that we've been coaching through lockdown because I think she agrees with a lot of what you've been saying today. She said, I have been so much happier with this slower life and I'm really enjoying the time I am not spending organizing schedules for pickups and drop-offs and classes and play dates and matches and parties. Instead, I'm loving weekends with local walks, playing games, and just sitting around comfortably with my kids and not feeling guilty for that.
2: Hallelujah, right? I mean, those are, if you think what, we, what we're all gonna look back on from our deathbeds later on on our parenting years, that's the stuff we're gonna remember, right? The slow stuff. We're not gonna remember charging through red lights to get to tennis or tutoring on time. <laughs> that's not That's not gonna be part of our highlight reel. It's the things that your listener just, um, just rattle off. Bravo, love it. <laughs>
1: love it i love it too carl it's been fantastic talking to you thank you for taking the time and um i hope you enjoy the rest of um your slower day i hope
2: yeah (laughs) i'm working on it same to you (laughs) (laughs) bye-bye cheers
0: thank you so much for listening to this episode i hope you got as much out of that as i did and i look forward to joining us next time above all else during these times Please stay connected, stay resourced and stay well.